0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 493rd episode of Constructed Chrism. I am your host, Mason. Joined by my co-host, Abe Stein. That's me. And Spencer Howland. Howdy, howdy. And we are going to be talking all about Constructed today, specifically Standard. Standard season is back. It's in full swing. It's one of the coolest standard formats we've had in a long time. But first, we do need to be doing Always Improving because that is the main point of the show. And Abe, it's your turn to go first this week what do you have for us for always improving?
1: Yeah. So um, this week I uh, had the opportunity to play a standard RCQ, which is not something I thought I would actually have time to do um, ahead of both the modern RC and then the PT coming up. And it really had me engaging in my process from a high level again, which is something I hadn't really been doing. Um, like I'm doing a lot more actual play testing and like, jamming games and you know seeing things in the small scale which is important but especially stepping right into a standard format which i told myself i'm like gonna let my friends kind of uh, and and the rest of my like local play group who i work with let them do a lot of the exploration and kind of trust their their vibes um and then figure out what it is i want to play i kind of had to do that all on a really really short tight schedule where i didn't realize this was going to be a thing i was going to be doing and uh got me really back into like reading deck lists, kind of understanding the texture of the format, which was really good ahead of this episode. And ultimately it just like had me landing on mono red for my RCQ, which was the absolute perfect choice for the room I was in. And while I got pretty unlucky to lose playing for the invite, that was the only match that I lost all day with mono red just because of how well positioned it was and basically everything that I had thought would happen based on, you know, just reading the deck lists and kind of deciding this is where I wanted to be, uh, came together really nicely, including just the, you know, the sideboard plans, the, the theory that I applied, and, and also some suggestions from my friend on some some tech, he had to be like a week ahead of the curve, and it all just really worked out, which was was really great.
0: Awesome, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get more into that mono red stuff later in the episode, so I don't want to dive too much into that right now, but I'm excited to hear more about that. Later, I'm up next for always improving this week, and mine also comes a little bit from standard, and that was where I had to play the or I didn't have to play. I chose to play the slow Girk deck deck uh, for my RCT this weekend, which I really like. I, I think it is a very powerful deck that's underexplored, but I, who knows where it actually lands? But it's a deck that I'm, I'm very interested in. I very much like, and it's very much like a Mason style. Like it does like a lot of cool things that are very fun and you know, some of its parts versus raw monsters on its own. And my kind of always improving moment from this one was really trying to like slow down and think about how my cards interact because I played the first couple of games of my deck in paper and I just like didn't think about how cards actually function because I had shorthanded so many things in my mind, like channeling is discarding, right? But like I wasn't triggering my NT and all these sort of things, you know? And it was just a moment of like, wait, we really need to slow down and pay a lot of attention here. There's a lot of different moving pieces and yeah, you know, you can play magic well, whatever, but like, you need to give this deck the respect it deserves. If you're going to be playing at tournaments. tournament and, you know, played some really fun matches. I think I did a pretty good job with that. made a couple decision calls in the moment that I think got wrong slash got punished and, you know, didn't do super hot, at the RCQ. So that's fine. I went in for top eight, but it was, a it was a good, like, back to basics moment almost of just like, hey, slow down and really think about how things play out and don't just shortcut how interactions work in your head.
1: Yeah, there's something that I think it was Zach Hill said that he used to do uh, before every tournament was like during the player meeting or before whatever, just make sure he has all his cards and has deck list written out. He would lay out all of his cards um, like on the table and then just start talking through like every interaction that he could ever like see in play so like for example in in the legends deck you would be able to lay out and be like okay well right when i channel my Ottawara, then i'm going to get to trigger my inti and you know if i activate my rona to loot that's also going to trigger my inti or like if i cast a spell using the mana from like if i use rona for mana and then i cast a legend i get to untap my rona and now i'm like netting a mana on every legend i cast right just going through the motions of doing that i think is almost as important as playing games like beyond that right if you're going to play test especially if it's a deck you're picking up for the first time and you don't know all of the things your deck is capable of, you might miss, like, lines on the fly and stuff. And I know with a deck, especially as complicated as that one is, it has a lot of moving parts and a lot of cards that are kind of doing multiple things and playing multiple roles, that understanding how to use them full potential is really, really important. And I don't know, it just made me think of that anecdote from... I think it was him. If it was not him, I'm sorry to whoever it was who does that and who I got it from uh please let me know that i'm wrong and take credit but uh just to to make sure that you're prepared and and thinking about everything you can do during the tournament with a deck like that especially ones that are really complicated
2: i love it i actually think that uh i have two always improving moments so i'll kind of jump in here one of them is similar uh i, I shortcutted something in my brain uh during my rc this weekend um where my opponent was going to kill my uh tie bender so i bounced it and because i knew that they had a second atraxa but then i was tapped out and they played the second atraxa it was like all right i'll just you know play this during my next turn remove Life Link, and then go in for a two for an alpha strike and that's not what the card does so like uh you know it, it's it, in my head it made sense but like i also knew that's not how the card worked but my my other always improving moment from this weekend yeah is actually just having a good mental um this is something that you know i've been working really hard on uh, throughout like you know trying to get back and like as i get back into playing more magic again um the last you know after a really rough year they like okay like if i'm gonna take magic more seriously again and, and in these ways like how do i need to do that and um this this weekend i also put an rcq um played soldiers Went 1-2, and people, you know, were asking me, like, oh, Spencer, like, you are a big proponent of this deck, like, now that it's, you know, it suffered, like, you know, what do you think? I was like, I don't think that's what happened. Like, I think I played poorly in these spots. I think that I had a bad sideboard plan in this matchup, uh, and I fixed it and then beat the same, like, beat the same deck. And, like, it it really went, I, when I when I reflected on the weekend, I thought to myself, oh, man, like, normally, like, 1-2 drop would be, like, you'd be kind of sad boy about it. But that is not how I felt at all. It was like, oh man, I learned like a lot and was able to uh, t- take away quite a few things about um, my local meta, uh, which was something that I, you know, didn't know what to expect going into the first RCQ of the the season. And yeah, it was, it was really cool to see that rather than focusing on any result, I didn't even think about it and was more focused on the process, which is when I am playing my best magic and when I'm doing my best, so...
0: That's great. Yeah, I mean, results don't really matter at the end of the day, right? Like, they kind of do, but, like, not really. You know, like, if you rather, like, you know, you have to choose, would you rather learn something from your RCQ or, like, top eight, right? Like, you probably choose to learn something a lot more times before you care about, like, winning, you know? So that's going to do it for the Always Improving segment this week. If you want to come of patron the show, you can by going to patreon.com/slash c the mpG the show will always be free but if you want to give back something you can go there to do that and you can have a bunch of different rewards like a patreon question that we're going to be reading at the end of the show. but it's time for our main topic which is the standard power rankings. So this is something that we have done a lot on the show historically and we're trying to do a lot more in the year 2024 which is kind of going over the format that's at hand for the RCq season looking over the results and assigning points based on how a deck does in a tournament based off an old Frank Karsten model. This is just a way to sort of give us a place to talk about decks and kind of an order based on how they're doing and not just be like, you know, let's pull names from a hat and sort of work from there and give us a little bit idea of kind of how decks are performing. So, you know, to get like an idea of it, right. It's like four points for first, you know, uh, a couple points for third to fourth, all that sort of stuff. So with that in mind, Let's start um, at the bottom, coming in at eight points, is Rakdos Ramp, sort of the bigger deck that uses you know Windfall and stuff like that and Breach the Multiverse. And I'm going to throw it to Spencer. Spencer traditionally loves big man decks. Do you have any thoughts on sort of this deck, Spencer?
2: This deck is funny because like it has three different names when you're going through data. Some people call it like, Rakdos Reanimator. Some people call it Rakdos Ramp. And uh, there was another name. Then I just kind of combine them all into Rakdos Big. They're all Breach the Multiverse Rakdos control decks, really, that have uh, Ironcrag and Celestis. Is it Celestis? Yeah as, yeah, as kind of like their ramp spells along with the Big Score. And we we talked about this deck quite a bit, Abe and I, uh, last Power Rankings. It's kind of when it broke out. And I think that, that this deck does kind of holds the position that the Mono White deck held. last standard format where it gets to be like this like it's trying to make the game about something and in this case you know that that it made it about like big planeswalkers and and wrath effects this this one is it's making about wrath effects and breach of the multiverse and i just i think that that's why this deck you know comes in with only eight points is because i think that it's if 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 it's removal and sweepers don't line up then it's gonna struggle and so uh and i think the other problem is is that all the other decks are playing the same black removal as this deck so you know it it makes this deck have to do something special but like when breach the multiverse is good and like that's what the format is about the deck becomes a lot better
0: yeah i like this deck a lot when it's positioned versus like domain right like it's about slow grindy sit there magic This is a a matchup that I would want to be on the side of sort of Fractos Big. One thing I forgot to mention real quick before I throw it to Abe is we are using this last weekend's uh, results.
2: So the four last challenges, sorry.
0: The last four challenges. Okay, gotcha. Abe, what do you think about this deck, especially with, you know, Bant Toxic about a week and some change ago, really popped up, did really well in a lot of challenges. Uh, Spoilers, actually, you know, isn't on our top eight here today. What do you think about this deck's position with that? Is that something you're worried about? I think that the Rakdos, like the big
1: Rakdos deck is, it's kind of in an interesting spot where I think that it's either a relic of, like to me, like a relic of a standard format that's no longer the one we're existing in, in terms of what people are playing and what matters, or it's poised to like come right back around uh, to the top pretty soon. I think that, uh, I'm kind of leaning towards the idea that it's on its way out because it's really, really good and really, really shines in matches that are similar to the ones where um, Domain shines, except it's a little bit better against the lower-to-the-ground decks, so uh, it's able to kind of go way over the top of whatever a lot of the mid-range decks that are are either small ball or, or maybe are engaged in kind of a different trying to play a different kind of game than, than maybe dealing with just jamming carnosaurs and uh, and breaches for, uh, and especially like the amount of breaches for Atraxa that kind of take over the game. Um, but at the same time, I think because of the way that the blue range decks have come up in the format, it's made decks like these a little bit more susceptible. Um, and there's just other things that operate in the same lane, like Domain, that um, kind of have a similar matchup spread now. But I do think there's something to be said for having the flexibility in a build list that's built uh, well to kind of cover a lot of the same swath um, that some of the various builds of Rakdos do, um, like the the non big score non um, you know without like breaches being able to kind of downsize your deck and, and occupy kind of a, an over the top lane and a and a mid range lane being something that makes this a bit appealing, but not surprised to see it kind of a as a, a deck that is popular right um be be in the spot on the on the meta
2: I think you kind of hit something really important and Mason I'm here's this something that you uh thought about because I know that you had been talking about the uh the domain deck a little bit in the discord but I, if the format is about this like there's nothing stopping us from just putting Italia back into our domain decks like if, if that's what the format's about, the, mo- the domain deck can also fight on that axis. It doesn't, it, it's not restricted to not doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the kind of a big draw of the Rakdos deck to me, the, the big Rakdos deck is that it gets to play, you know, more untapped lands and it has access to uh, more things that allow it to play in the early game than uh, domain does. But that comes at the cost of being worse at, ramping into the things that it needs to and needs to go over the top and you know a little bit worse at actually getting that far over the top right like your Rakdos deck doesn't actually ever get to Atraxa right it has Breach to try to take other people's Atraxes and and also to have its own giant things like Itali is still really really good but when Atraxa is the biggest thing to do in the format and the best threat to put into play and you're a deck that's not doing that it's hard to say that you're really the, the biggest deck around
0: yeah, I'm kind of in a similar place. You know, I I have a lot of thoughts on domain and probably come up over the course of the show a little bit too, but I've been wondering, like, you know, there is such a target on its back um, and it is such a deck that is currently, like, being built one way of maybe, like, shifting things could help. Like, we saw for a little bit people tried playing cards like Trumpeting Um, So I'm not against the idea of switching from something, like, different happening, but I do think that, like, Atraxa is so much the go over the top thing and is kind of like so much better versus a lot of other stuff in game one. Um despite, you know, personally like my plans being to like sideboard out Atraxa in most games. Um so it's just kind of like the best game one thing. But I I would not be shocked or you know a denier if someone came to me with like this is my Atali or some other big creature as my main card in domain. I personally don't have much to say about Rectos Big. Uh, I think it is a fine deck. A lot of the decks that I like in the format seem to have good Rectos Big matchups. I I really think Rectos' strength is that it is so good versus Domain and can have a reasonable enough game versus other stuff, if it like builds its deck the right way, that um, I think it'll probably be fine. That being said, Golgari Mid is next up here. And I'm sorry sorry to throw it to you twice in a row, but I know that you've played more Golgari Mid then assuredly, Abe or I have played. Um, since you actually like that deck a lot before the news that came, uh, sorry, before they switch back to standard. How do you feel about the deck now? I, I saw you tweeting about it a little bit this week.
2: If, if the format was like just like Esper mid and like mono red and like you know kind of the like those type of decks, like Golgari midrange would be really, really good. Like it, it would, it might, even, it would legitimately maybe be the best deck in the format. The problem is, is, that's not the world we live in, right? We just talked about Ractos Big, we've already talked about Domain in this format. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the, the stack struggles really hard from the disruption available to it, um, to disrupt people trying to go bigger than it, and you know, typically the way that the way that like these decks which you know we we all know like John struggle against Tron and primeval Titan decks right like that that was just like always its problem the problem is that the best deck one of the best decks in the format is one of those big mana decks right now and so you there's not like a lot that you can do and it's it, with with domain sometimes being as much as like 25% of the field it's really hard to justify uh playing a deck that like yeah it, it's probably a slight favorite against Esper but, like, you, like that's the, you're going to lose some of those Esper games. You're going to lose some of those blue-black games. You're going to, like... It, it, yes, it, is it favored in the mid-range mirror? Yeah. Like, you have really efficient stuff. But, like, we all know what Rafine can do as a magic card. And so some of those games just won't go your way. And for that reason, like, I, I, I would actually recommend people did did not play this deck. Not because it's not fun. Not because it's not good. Like, it's a good set of magic cards. It's just not it's time, like... Uh, going into worlds i thought it was the best deck and that's just not the world that we live in now yeah i think personally the Golgari
0: mid deck is just a little too like small ball and not able to fight on the domain access enough like against what they're doing compared to like the other mid-range decks in the format and i think it lacks like an aggressive curve that like forces them to have the wrath as an example of like one of the problems. And that for much of the reasons just has me really kind of low on the deck. I would not be surprised if this deck won an RCQ. I do think it has some like pretty good matchups, but it is like a black green mid range deck at the end of the day.
2: So former coast uh, and recent guest on the show, Quentin Pierce, he, he actually lost with domain to this deck in the finals of our RCQ this weekend. And like, so it, it can happen, but like, when Quentin described the game to me, it was like, yeah, like I didn't see an Atraxa or a Wrath in my and I had twenty cards left in my deck in games two and three. And it's like uh I don't know, it's just a tough position. Um I I think I said this at the Discord basing, but you just reminded me of it. In our Patreon Discord, I, I was asked, like, how do you fight on this axis? Like the answer might be just be add blue cards. Like it might be at the end of the day. Be the, that's what's necessary for this deck to actually fight in the in the current metagame, to, like, become one of the top-tier decks, but the, I don't know that the mana would be supported.
1: Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a big narrative of the domain deck even becoming as big as it was, is that, or as it is even, is that it's the Golgari killer, right? Like, Golgari was the best-position mid-range deck in a format that uh, seemed like it was going to be a lot about Fighting against, uh you know, Rafines and like kind of Legend stuff, but it was able to, uh, and, and also some of the more aggressive options in the format, but it was able to kind of tackle those and hang with kind of long drawn out resource games. It's not really well equipped to handle, I think, the Haymakers that Domain has, and Domain has them and Card advantage in spades at the stage of the game that Bogar is operating in, which means that while, you know, like you said, it's definitely a, a choice that can win an RCQ and is not a bad deck it's a reasonable deck if you're going to be a hashtag reasonable deck gamer it's the cards you got and it's what you like playing but as far as the other decks operating in its vein you're gaining some marginal points in your mid-range mirrors and costing yourself a lot of equity in your domain matchup and in your other like big over the top deck matchups by not having access to counter magic which is just the best way to put those decks in their place so it really is Uh, like a a cost you pay. And and I think, like like you said, Spencer, it's not worth the price you're paying in your matchup spread to have that edge in those mid-range fights because that edge can be gained in other ways depending on how you're constructing your deck.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of standard is like black mid-range decks or whatever. And the Golgari one is kind of the slightly slower of all those black mid-range decks. And the curve-out potential of things like blue-black mid... Uh, mid range decks we'll talk about later in the show that gives them a little bit of an edge versus decks like domain the ability to kind of go one two like deep cavern bat take your kill stuff play my gix draw a card you you know like move through my deck a bunch that kind of stuff or rafine in a similar vein those kind of things are really good and the green and Golgari isn't really worth the like squeeze right now it could move back to a position where it is but currently it's like personally I'm like well why would I not be playing like Blue cards or the blue and white cards or the red cards that go with this. Like the black cards are really, really good, but the green cards are good, but not about what the games are about.
2: Yeah. And and to be fair, this deck is now a Deep Cavern Bat Gix deck. It is that now. And that has helped the deck a lot. Like it it is one of its ways to fight on that axis that we talked about. But like all the other decks get to do that too. And this one, all like, still has the worst uh, problems that we talked about.
0: Moss yeah, of Dragonite's like not a card, and really, it's very cool that it's like not a card, right? Like, that's yeah, really cool. if,
1: if all your best cards are the black cards, why play the green cards? Is a very real question to ask yourself. And like, blue gets to play counter magic, uh, siren, schooner, um, you know, fairy mastermind, Malcolm, like all these cards that are really good. Urtai is also a really, really solid magic card. Tidebinder is a good answer to attracts, right? It gets a swath of cards that get to interact with it but Golgari just kind of is, is on the losing
0: end of the color pie per, for what pairs best. Speaking of mid-range decks, we have a tie for our next two spots um, on the list here at 17 points, and the, we're talking about the first one here this list is Blue-White Creatures. This is like the blue-white mid-range deck you've seen in Standard. Yeah. I th- it's like, fine.
2: Yeah, there's, there's kind of three flavors included here. You've got blue-white aggro, blue-white tempo, or blue-white soldiers. And the only real discerning difference, like, they're all really just blue-white flash decks. It depends on whether you value the soldier synergies or, you know, more efficient creatures. That is the only difference between the decks.
0: Yeah. And I I think these decks are fine. I see decks like blue-black mid, as, and which is for the sake of transparency, the deck that's tied with it, I sort of see that as a little bit more appealing personally. Um, But, like, it's playing just a different type of deck Um, that gets to play, I think, some similarly strong elements. But, the you know, these flashy decks, I think, are fine personally. But, honestly, they just seem like stock, reasonable deck gamers that can do well. They don't inspire a lot from me, both negatively or positively. You know, like, if you told me I had to play this deck at my RCQ, I wouldn't be over the moon, but I also wouldn't be like, well, I'm just going to go home instead, you know? I don't know how y'all feel about this one.
2: Yeah, I, I'll take it next. Uh, this is what I played uh, at my RCQ. This is, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to go to the Oasis RCQ this weekend, um, but I would play it again. I think that this format does this thing, and I think the blue-black mid-deck does this too. It has this ability as well, so I don't want to say that, like, only the blue white deck can do this. I really think that the Flash game plan leads to a Tempo game that is really good in this format. Um... Like it, it may I think that a lot of this format is about mana, and because of that, uh, you really get an option of how you get to use your mana in some pretty w- real ways with this deck. And for me, like it it attacks the format on an axis that the format is pretty weak to. I uh, think that the like it I, I like what you said where it's just like oh, it's just like a reasonable deck like stock. like yeah, this is just a good deck type of deck. Um, but it also has like a ton of play to it, which I I really enjoy. And I think that, you know, it, it it's funny like the builds from the, when it was dominating. Uh, you know, a couple what was that like a month ago. Like they, I really didn't like them. Like uh, the spirit that like gains life didn't really fit into the soldier's deck. And I think that's why you see people moving more towards kind of this uh this flash variant of the deck. And I think that its biggest boon is, like, that it gets to be the deck that gets to play four Make Disappears in a format where, like, you actually just play a lot of things into Make Disappear, and you don't really have a choice. So, I think that that is, like, its biggest strength. I don't know. What do you think, Gabe?
1: Yeah, I think that this deck gets to, and and same with, with Blue Black, but they get to leverage the blue instant speed creatures really, really well. Um, this Angle is just more kind of leveraging it alongside options of like the Wandering Emperor and um, in, in some builds and in uh, like having wedding announcement to kind of have ways to out attrition, the mid range decks, or at least engage in those games with the kind of more removal base, the bl- like the black red decks the, um, of the format has more ways to hang with them. But I think that what time has shown in the way the format has developed, um, at least my read on it, has been that those things have started to matter less because there's more of these decks that are just trumping all of that that game plan, right? Like, sure, you have a wedding announcement that you get three out of, or maybe you get like two, two, two and a card and you have this Glorious Anthem that's like, you know, making it that way, and the rest of your, your creatures are also a little bit, little bit bigger, but you're not going to realize the value in that and get the gains from that, until, whatever, you're not even flipping the thing until turn six, so, um, you know, you do that and then your opponent plays Atraxa and you are trumped, right? Or maybe you do that and you're getting the Anthem after your opponent's already had an Atraxa and maybe has even attacked with it, right? These are things that kind of put a lot of pressure on um, on this deck that make it, I think, while it has the tools to fight against Domain effectively, a little bit weaker structurally into decks like Domain that are um, a bit bigger, but that's only so much of the format, and I think there's a lot of the format where the blue light tech has a lot of versatility, and and like you said, Spencer, um, the ability for it to have a lot of choice in how it spends its mana, and to always have a lot of information when it's choosing to spend its mana um, in in a lot of its matchups is really valuable. It's very hard to make like a a, a blunder of a decision in terms of how you are uh investing your your resources into the board uh in the same way that other mid-range decks have the issue of and a lot of your cards are more cohesive especially because your threats and your interaction are all aligned in timing Um, so you're not going to have to like pass up one for the other and i think that makes your deck really really consistently good um whether or not it's capable of being like you know the best deck in the way it was or best looking deck in the way that it was a month and a half ago
2: yeah, I think that this deck, like, I love that you brought up Wedding Announcement because it's a card that I have started to be way more comfortable setting out in certain situations. and But I think that both this deck and the blue-black deck that, you know, Mason, you said it's more appealing to you. They both uh, have some, a couple of things that going for them as far as, like, rectangle theory. Like, yeah, this deck doesn't have, like, the one, the same type of one-mana plays where, like, its one-mana plays are, you know, are aggressively slanted. Whereas the, you know, the things like the blue black deck, it's it's one mana play is like, you know, it's an explore creature that can get schooner, like stuff like that. So they're, they're playing, they're playing similar games on with like different conclusions drawn about how you should be doing it.
0: Yeah, I think that like, you know, to go into the blue black mid deck a little bit, I think that... Well, there's two things. One, I think there are people are looking at cards like Listening Deluge a lot because of things like Toxic, which is giving some splash hate to blue-white creatures for, like, the next week or so, which, you know, is, like, a ding, but not a knock, in my opinion, on the deck. Um, but I think just, like, blue-black midrange lets you play a little bit more of that flash game, and your cards meld with it a bit more because of your, like... Urtai is just a card that like, lets you kind of hold up and, like really punishing, but also it could be a make-disappear, or I would have this Myricks face up and the Myricks is just going to, like, actually beat you, and that's a card that has, like, been really impressive uh in the games that I had seen it. Uh A local friend played this deck to a finals loss this weekend, Um Garrison, who was on the show, actually, and, like, I was watching him play and just, like, a lot of games where he just kind of, like, got his Myricks going, but it, like, wasn't enough that the opponent had to pull the trigger, but he had, like, counter magic or, like, was representing it, and it really put people in this tight squeeze, and then you know, still had the ability to do a curve out draw, uh, you know, of like Siren into Schooner or Siren Bat uh Gix is the thing that he actually did against me in the first round of the Swiss. And like that kind of one, two, three is really strong in a very similar way to the blue-white deck. So I, I think they are sort of two sides of the same coin. I like what's interesting about. It. It's like you want to be proactive versus reactive. And I think if someone that likes this kind of deck, you should kind of be moving between them. I think the Deep Cavern Bat gig stuff is really strong, and that has me more looking that direction. But that's sort of, you know, where I'm at. I'm curious if we all have anything else to say about Blue, Black, Mid.
2: Yeah, I do want to just kind of shout out to Yum, he actually did, like, a little thread about his version of this deck that was splashing white for Rafine uh, in our Patreon Discord to answer people's questions. And I think that, and for what it's worth, um, with a top three, he also gave four of the points to To this deck, I included his his Esper variant in that. I think that, um, you know, people like to to joke with me about like three minute Specter because I, you know, at the when it was I I took me a really long time to get it. Um, it did. It took me about uh just reading the card to get Spite Siren. Like I was like, oh, this is a good card. And it, it, the thing is, is like. Uh, kind of like Mason said, like Gix is this is our second deep cavern bat Gix deck. We're not even done with it yet. That is a huge thing. I also think that like, just like the Esper deck, um, being able to make bat really big, the fact that this deck gets to play schooner, or I guess not gets her. I guess the other decks could do it, but like it 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 really pressures your opponent in a multitude of ways when you think about like the difference between. The, kind of the squeeze that it puts on you with like deep Camera Bat, schooner, uh, the flash and then the flash threats. Uh, it, it's it's a lot to be asking, and um, I, I am curious, uh, if if you guys are team sheltered in this deck or in or not with fairy mastermind. I'm not in the main deck, yeah. I i i, I know the list that uh that did the best this weekend was playing in the main, that's why I asked because I think that it's not what this deck is looking for but was curious
1: yeah i think like i don't know we we've talked a bit about how like you know even the Golgari deck has kind of adapted to be a deep cavern bat gix deck and that core of like not only do it access to the discard spells you also get access to the black removal which is so good um and the combination of having counter magic duress uh you know bat geeks and ev- evasive creatures is a really really potent plan a even if it is kind of finicky and chip shotting it has its weaknesses too like having to commit the geeks on turn three and then actually connecting and then giving them that turn with your shields down and trying to like recover from whatever you're allowing your opponent to do on those turns um can be kind of challenging and the fact that also you don't have a really quick clock in any capacity because like, probably your best draws are like the for that are the schooner draws, but outside of those, you don't necessarily put a lot of pressure on quickly. So, there are some flaws with the blue black deck in terms of its ability to um, be punishing with how lean it is, but it has all the same upside of the blue white deck in terms of spending its mana in the best way possible. Plays a lot of instant speed interaction and a lot of instant speed threats and ways to recoup the cards to make that uh, a feasible way to win and i think that this is kind of like in my mind a a dark horse of of like the best um looking deck of the mid-range decks uh on paper because it feels like it is able to adapt to and flex the most with the metagame and it's one of those things where if you're playing this deck week in week out and you really make all the right decisions um, in terms of how you're building it, you know how you're sideboarding with it, right? Knowing that it's the right time to play Shieldred, or why you would even like is Shieldred even on your radar this weekend? Is is this the card that really matters, or no? Being able to answer those questions will really be rewarding um in a way that some of the uh the other mid range decks have struggles of being just kind of uh you know maybe a little bit more powerful on paper and in, in a raw sense, or playing some of the the stronger card stat wise, but you know, those those lost opportunities of making sure you have the right opportunity to blow your opponent out with that Tide Binder or line up your make disappear or get them with that mastermind, get that extra card and um and, and then like stick your gigs with a cut down, whatever it is that, that like is your back breaking play, you get to make that a lot more often in this mid-range deck than I think the others. And I think that's really worth um worth a lot to me. So I'm I'm a pretty big fan of the Lightman deck. It was the my second choice for the RCQ that I played over the weekend because I think it has the most it has probably the most maneuverability. That's the best way to put it. It's like been a while since it has been a deck where you get a lot of decisions and options on when you want to do things. And I think that it's it seems really rewarding in, in that
0: in the format right now. Speaking of rewarding and having a lot of options, next up is Esper mid-range. This is a deck that has, you know, been a big player in standard for the last year or so at varying degrees, but always sort of around really on the back of Rafine. This is also kind of a deep cavern bat into a strong three-drop. Gix is a card that we see kind of move through here a little bit uh, from time to time. And as for mid, you know, to me, I, I don't, I personally like the blue black up a little bit more. I totally see blue black splashing Rafine, um, which is legally Esper. You know, as, as another reasonable choice, but. Um, I like these decks a little bit less than the blue black mid personally, but they are very very good. And you know, I would be very happy once again with the analogy if I showed up and you're like, "Hey Mason, you have to play Esper mid." I'd be like, "Giddy up!" You know, yeah. How's my deck built for this week? You know, what's going on? You know, let, let's see what's happening. Dude,
2: so. Legally, legally, Esper got me. That made me chuckle. <laughs> I I have uh, bruised ribs right now, and Mason just hurt me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Sorry about that, but <laughs> no, it's
2: not good. It's just funny. I think that this deck. I I wonder your take is like it kind of looks to me. Whenever I play this deck, I feel like I'm playing half of a flash deck, and that always makes me feel weird. I think that's why I, for so long they went down to like I think there were times where we played zero make disappears. Um, you know, as they've increased their flash threats again with Tashana's uh, Tide Binder um, and Virtue of Loyalty, it's kind of gone back up. But it it is it's kind of like the because the fact that Golgari has fallen so out of favor, it feels like this deck has gained the most equity from that.
1: Yeah, I think, it's um, kind of draw an analogy to the blue-black deck, like the blue equity range deck gets to pretty consistently leave up its mana or use it to interact on the turns where it really wants to, but is um, paying for that in terms of its card quality being... Um, a bit lower because it's trying to play more interactive spells and play geeks. Um, the Esper deck is more of the mindset that it's going to outpace you pound for pound uh, in the first three or four turns of the game and then use its interactive spells to make it so that that's good enough to win. Right? Like it's going to follow up its wedding announcement with, now I'm going to be able to tie binder your thing or make disappear that or, you know, kill your creature that actually matters. Or I'm going to stick my Rafine after my two drop and these are enough to win the game. Or I can maybe play one or two more things behind that. And that's enough to really take over a game over the next few turns on its own. I'm generating enough value with those. That's not exactly the plan of the other mid range decks. And I think that it's something to be said for the value of. Uh, playing like the higher quality threats that this deck scored higher and placed higher. Uh, but I also think that it's also deck like, because it's very threat heavy lends itself to having a more people feel comfortable picking it up and b have better results because it doesn't have to be built as well. As long as you're playing combinations of the right threats, your deck will perform. It's really about making sure of a deck that curves into a refine. And this has been a thing in standard for, what like since uh since esper legends since rafine was really printed right it's just you're curving into rafine and you're doing it with good creatures your deck has a really really high floor you're you're doing something good as long as that deck is capable of doing and you can't be that wrong which means that this deck has one of the most played decks in the format of course is going to score well and of course is powerful because it's just playing the best threats and you know curving Denik into Rafine is still really, really good, and you only don't need that much to back it up uh, to win your best draws, whereas, you know, maybe curving Siren into Fairy Mastermind into go-for-the-throat-your-thing, and now I have four lands in play is, like, not the most exciting way to win a game. Um, it, it might not even close it. So uh, that, that's kind of my take on it. I think that Esper is really good, and I do like Yeoman's approach of kind of saying I want to be an interactive deck playing Rafine, um, in terms of, like, you know, legally Esper, if that's what we're calling that deck now. But overall, like, the ability to rely on just the best threats, especially in the face of kind of some of the aggressive decks we see, just makes
0: sense as to why it's uh, why it's why it's been so so good. I also think, like, a lot of people who like that deck will probably like the Blue man deck, and sometimes you gotta, like, burden to proof it, right? Like, sometimes your people say, like, you gotta prove this to me, and they just, like, won't take the, the leap. And so I'd be interested to see kind of how it goes. I think Esper is such a solid choice. And it's so hard for it to be too wrong.
2: Yeah. Have, we have not mentioned Mogged yet. And I just want to talk about like what a sicko run this guy is on. I also really love that we get to see all the MPGO data so that I can like see that he's mortal. So that when he goes first into fourth in like back to back, like challenge Sunday challenge into Saturday challenge that he then takes 99th. So I don't feel quite as bad in his next esper midrange challenge but the dude you know obviously is just crushing it with this deck specifically in standard um i also want to call out that the esper legends decks are not included in these points those those are separated out though there's like a pretty real difference when you're down to so few spells that i separ- that i that i didn't want to combine them
1: yeah i think that's fair i think that like the esper midrange decks do play enough interaction that it's different they're kind of like Maybe the post board version of some of the Legends decks. But I think overall that game plan is like very, very similar. I think the, playing the interaction obviously pays off. With, with how broad the format is, you really get rewarded for having interaction in your deck.
2: Yeah. And Deep Cavern Bat is just, you know, a different card than Thalia. Like they're just, it's just very different ways to disrupt your opponent.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Also, one thing to like I think it's underappreciated sometimes is like while you're kind of putting a lot of eggs in the basket, if you go like Bat Rafine if the bat really messed them up like the mulligan didn't have the right thing you're also just gaining a lot of life pretty quickly and like even if your bat just gets the first connive right and then the other turns you're putting on rafine to like spread out your eggs like a 2-2 or flyer is like yeah i'm in <laughs> you know <laughs> like that's a good card yeah it's like so, four times as good as a
2: one yeah.
1: lifelink flyer
2: I, I actually i'm glad you brought that up because does anybody else feel like 32 is like a number that they see life totals out a lot in this format like I feel like games get to people at thirty two life all the time. Next up is Mono Red,
0: uh, and Abe, you played Mono Red this weekend. You said you wanted to talk about and about this more later, and had a lot of thoughts. I'm gonna pass the mic to you. All right,
1: light it up. So uh, I feel like to talk about Mono Red and why I think it is so good and why I I chose it this weekend. Um, I think we've got to take a rewind back to maybe like what was effectively week one uh, of of the RCQ season, where it was like, okay, domain, best deck, it's everywhere. And then um, this crazy thing happened, which is that the format adapted and people played decks like Picnic Ruiner and these really low-to-the-ground aggressive decks, at least in paper, uh, and were taking down event after event crushing the domain players whose decks were too slow or too engrossed in the mirror they were like ah my whole plan is to deck my opponent and have jace and i'll beat everything else because i'm a bigger deck and it's like well what if you died on turn four with all your lands tapped what if that happened and what happened is that that's really effective those decks can't really keep pace with that and that's what's led there to be reason for the mid-range decks to come back not just this big not the big versions of the mid-range decks that kind of can compete with Domain and maybe are fighting arms races with each other, but the arms race was undercut by decks that can go fast enough. As you'll note, and I, spoilers, but Picnic Rune are not anywhere to be seen on this list. Toxic not anywhere to be seen on this list. Both those decks that are really go under you decks did not make it, um, but Mono Red did, and it is in third place. And I think the reason for that and this is my was my theory going in is that I think Mono Red is in a really really sweet lane with kind of the 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 breadth of the format of being low enough to the ground to uh, get under domain effectively. Like it can very very easily just curve out and crush domain while they play maybe two spells. Um, that is a really really good place to be at because. You need to be able to do that to, to hang in, a, in in the format at all without playing Interaction. The other thing is that it gets to play enough removal that it's able to keep the decks that are below it in check. It can't outrace Picnic Ruiner, but it can punish the fact that that deck is trying to A, play take a lot of damage to its lands and not care about it, because uh, it has, some builds have Thran Portal, uh, it has Kurpluzin Forest, uh, it's Gonna take damage to your uh, you know, if you have furnace punishers, it's gonna take damage to those nine times out of ten. Uh, you you get a lot of free points off that deck with how you're you're constructed, and you're racing in a small game where you have the instant speed removal and they don't. The other thing is that the mid-range decks, in order to hang with the domain decks and the, the blitz decks, is that they are kind of spread thin, and they're reliant on certain creatures, especially um, Preacher of Schism, to shut down the aggressive draws uh, while also being this value-accruing card. Red has the tools when it's built with all these things in mind, which is how I, thanks to uh, working with uh, my friend Chris Song, um, was able to... Build the deck was just like by running Obliterating Bolt as an answer to a lot of the Legends cards and Rafine, um, and you know, bat and gix all these things that like Lithomancer's barrage doesn't catch, you need lightning strike for, but you only have so many. Um, or these things that are trying to beat lightning strike is the moderate answer, you're able to push through all of that in addition to being good against the lowest end of the format and good against the highest end of the format. And so all those things in conjunction. Really make this, I think, the best positioned of the decks that are trying to get under domain, because they can hang with all of the decks in the format. And I think Mono Red is just a seriously good deck. Like you get to play twenty-three lands, and you never have color issues. You get to choose the speed the speed at which you want to operate. You can either, you know, trade your spell because of like Bloodthirsty Adversary. You can control the board, or you can try to get mileage out of your cards. You can try to go under people, try to go over people. If the games are going long, Urbrask's Forge is just a very, very, very difficult to answer card for a lot of decks that I think is currently going unrespected in the way people are building their decks. There's a lot of these things that add up that I think make Mono Red just like the best position deck in the format. Um, And I think it is probably being underplayed. Like I put out, I put my deck list in the um, uh, Discord I think I was the only mono red player in the room uh, at my event. When I'm looking at the challenge data, at least for the last couple of weeks, there's not that many mono red players uh, compared to some of the other aggressive options. And I I really think that when you break down how the format is like panning out and what the trajectory of it is, it's in a really really solid spot right now. So that's that's my pitch on mono-red, feel free to, to pick apart what you think is, is wrong, or say that I'm a genius, whichever one you think is more appropriate, but I will turn the floor over to, to y'all.
2: So, I, I do want to challenge the... I... I, uh, I like everything you said. Uh, also, I'm a, you know, y'all know me, I love Bloodthirsty, Thursday have card sick. Um But also, I, I think that I have some concerns about the... not just this deck, just like this, like, the really fast decks in general. One, it's that, like, it's not that hard to just put Temporary Lockdown back in people's builds. I think that, that, that um at least from what I was seeing in my local meta, like, you know, I played against Moderad twice, uh, and I only played three rounds. And uh, I know Quentin played against it three times. I think that one, it also just won two of the last four challenges. So a challenge each weekend, the last two weeks. I don't know how long it will take paper to catch up to this but i i don't know how i feel about the deck like i think i need to get in the streets with it a little bit to like get an opinion abe i'll probably check out your list i i I really appreciate like it looks like it's been really refined over the last specifically like three to four uh weeks When you look at like you know the number like bloodthirsty avocary going back to the deck like a one of thundering red you in both of the winning deck lists things like that um yeah, I mean, it looks really good. I will say that I've, got, I've gotten the chance to play with Urbrask's Forge part of it, um, which is not a card that I've heard people talking about, and that card's a heck of a cyborg card. Like, that card, you get two of those things down, and your opponent, like, is really pressured to, like, close out the game or, like, have some kind of, a, like, a 8-8 in play. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I would really encourage you to get in the streets with it because... One of the strengths of the deck, in my opinion, is how resilient it is to things like Lockdown, which are yeah. the better answers to Bant. Because all of your best cards that don't do anything the moment they come in are your three drops. And so, like, I, the first time it really clicked for me was when I had Kumano faces as Kakazan, and then it flipped and I played Godric and it was attacking for four. Right, like I'd already gotten so much value out of my Kumanos. And sure, like they could get my Charming Scoundrel or whatever my other two drop was, or even my monosaurus, where I followed up with. But the ability like that card had had done so much in that. It was already one, it was a damage to them, it was a plus one plus one counter, it was a two-two attacking, and that also gave my Godrick flying. If they lock down me, I was able to play squee and attack them for, for seven. Like that the the sequences around being a lot of three drops, like like once you get to the point where you have three mana. You're playing a lot of haymakers in the context of the aggro, like in the context of the answers, the format that I think make this deck really, really well positioned into what's going on right now. I do think it's beatable and and certainly exploitable, but I think that it also has a lot of tools because it's a big standard format. You have a lot of answers to the problems that are that are in front of you, and I do think the numbers have just gotten um,
0: as people have played more with it. I just don't think the deck looks weak to lockdown as my like biggest problem specifically because of some of the stuff that like Abe has in his sideboard, like Herbrask forge, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think Abe's kind of cooking. There are some small things that like I have some thoughts on that probably will talk to you off the show. Cause I don't think it'd be actually high value for listeners, but uh, ultimately I think this makes a lot of sense as like being a choice for the weekend. I think this deck is underappreciated by players. It is very powerful. When I've watched people play it, I have been impressed. When I've been uh, had it put against me, I felt impressed. Like I, you know, I only like beat this deck because I assembled, you know, Exodia, as like Rona, Titania, and Shieldred against the deck on the play, and like just you know gained enough life and did my slurgurk thing barely enough to survive and like watching other people play i was like dang i feel like this person just drew seven lands in a row and had they drawn any card at all they that had like a text box that would have easily won you know and stuff like that um which you can't really help with these kind of decks but i, I do think this deck looks really strong and i like or rest forge a lot i like the bolt a lot i guess one thing i will ask this here on air is sort of like is cough good does it is like is it cooking
1: Uh, So I was going to say, I think that Demian77, who won the challenge uh, on Sunday, their list looks really, really clean. I like Koth in matchups that are not super prevalent. Mm -hmm. Like, there are various, like, blue-white kind of tap-out control decks where if you just stick a Koth, it's very good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some of the, like, fringe slow decks in the format, Koth, it plays pretty well. But, like, that's that's definitely a slot that is, is up for grabs. I like the, the like, Demian is playing two Chandra Dress to kills, and I think that's also a good approach to, to what you're looking for that kind of slot to do. And I also like that it's a little bit cheaper while still providing you an extra mana source. But I, I think that just any list, I think Obliterating Bolt is, like, a big part of the solution. That card was fantastic for me all weekend. But I think, like, if you just took Demian's list and cut some barrages, and maybe some Warcraftings to fit in, like, three obliterating Bolts or so, and maybe, like, the fourth Forge or whatever it is you think is the best thing to do, maybe another Chandra, that is going to be a a very good deck to bring to your next RCQ. Like, I'm I'm considering trying to spend most of my time after work running around the state trying to get another copy of Mana Red, I can't borrow the deck that I borrowed last weekend, to play another RCQ this weekend with
0: it because it's that good.
2: Ring endorsement, I love it. Yeah, I, I like this. The hardest part is
0: going to be finding Bloodthirsty ever series. This next <laughs> up is Domain at 27 points, number two on the list. And this might be a surprise for some players. I'll lead off here. A domain was a deck I definitely, I, I you know, probably three weeks ago now to four weeks ago now in coaching, a lot of people asking me about staying. I was like, listen, I like Domain a lot right now. It can only be so bad. It has been really strong for a while but one thing we have seen time and time again is that magic online players and people there's not huge incentives to like brew once they find something strong domain is a good deck it's been refined a bunch and it's probably beatable if you like really try and a bunch of people try and you know people have good plans like i think blue black made for example has good plans to beat it moderate has good plans to beat it esper has done some stuff to help its match up there you know those are all, you know, uh, Rectus Big, Bant Toxic, all decks that have, you know, popped up or changed their configurations to fight Domain and have made it, you know, less the de facto, like, why are you not playing Domain as a choice? Uh, I have all the Domain cards for, you know, example, and I think it is a good deck. and I think it is hard for it to be a terrible choice. and I think, you know, stuff like Stomper into invasion, into call, uh, I'm sorry, the Herd Migration is like a one, two, three that is really powerful and standard, but you know per spencer earlier in the show like talking about Italian and stuff i do wonder if we're supposed to be like looking in other areas the deck's supposed to change because i think while it's still really strong the format is wrapping around and doing stuff and domain players are just like not really trying you know i had a celestis in my deck that seemed really good um tried cutting down on Atraxas uh, as a thing messed with different sideboard cards long story short I I think domain players need to be more willing to change the cards in their deck a little bit. I'm not talking about heresy of like, you know, swapping out all the attracts or getting rid of all the rafts or, you know, all these sort of things. But there are a bunch of stuff that are flex slots that you can move around with. And just having a lot of mana really early is traditionally very strong in Seder when the payoffs are good. And we have good payoffs, good bridge spells. It's just a good deck, Um, but a beatable deck. And, you know, I think. It is not so unassailable like it might have appeared to be three weeks ago.
2: Yeah, I think that I, I was kind of looking at stuff, um, kind of the last couple of days, and uh, today when I was looking, I noticed that the list that like got top sixteen points because we only did up to top sixteens for these four challenges. Those were like the stock lists, like the four up the beanstalk, three attracts a four stomper, four archangel, one nissa, three to four invasion. Three to four Sunfall, four Hard Migration. I, mean, I could literally list the deck without looking at it. And then I have a, a couple of the other lists up, and it actually looks like the decks that did the best were the non-stock versions. They were actually the people trying stuff, whether it be temporary lockdown in the main, whether it be Tasha's Tidebinder in the main. Like those are actually the decks that are uh, performing the best out of the domain decks because you you can't sleep on your laurels anymore. Everybody's now playing standard. It, it is now standard season. Yes, you had the best deck. You had you had the level one deck. Really, it wasn't even the level zero deck. To be honest, it was actually the level one deck, and you were just dumpstering level zero people. It, it it felt oppressive, um. But that's not the world we live in anymore. Does that mean that you should consider not playing this? No, I'm like this deck's really good. Uh, it's it's quite strong. Um, but I, I I like uh something that uh I think this is the Jerry T podcast. Uh, they, they were, they were talking about like, is up the beanstalk even worth it at this point? Like, um, I try to say, I, I know that for me, the games that I usually lose to domain involve an up the beanstalk. Like they have an up the beanstalk and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, this, this card became a problem about three turns later. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, dude?
1: Uh, I talked about this deck a lot with, um, Jarvis at the Arcecube we were playing, so it was one of the other options that I was considering because he had an extra copy of the deck. And a lot of Domain's games are about strategic vision and, like, big game planning. And I think that what you just said about how the decks that were really not doing the stock things, were the ones that perform the best, lines up with that really well because it really is about having thought out all of the matchups you're going to play, what they look like on like the level of, you know, how is that deck presenting its problems for me this week? What are the tools I'm going to need to answer it? And how am I going to construct a game plan that wins? Um, You know, and without sacrificing in the other, the other areas, right. It's a lot of planning out because it's a deck that has access to so many of its resources, every game, um a lot of planning out what that looks like in every game and is really rewarding when you when you do that correctly um and domain is like mason said really really powerful it's some of the best stuff you can do in the format it's it's just a lot of really powerful cards and its only hindrance is that in order to play all those powerful cards it does have setup turns which are exploitable and it doesn't get to play a lot of really efficient answers. So if it's not ramping, sometimes it can struggle to have to present multiple answers. Other than that, the deck is so, so, so strong, and like if you are doing the work of staying on top of what is important for the domain players and the matchups that are important, you will succeed with this deck. It is not a deck that it's not like domain is a flash in the pan that oh we were wrong it's not actually good it gets beat up by all these other things like no it's not oppressively good it's just a good deck that's in the format it's it's a very very solid level zero deck like like you said level one deck
2: there's a uh, there's you just reminded me of this there's a um, the goat of super smash brothers ultimate his name is mk Leo, and he is like he had the most dominant run of like many esports, like all time, like actually insane. And when he stopped winning, every, winning or taking second at every single event he played at, people said he was washed. The dude's still top four is top eights, like every event. But they're like, oh, you know, he's washed. And I think that people, when a deck goes from being the unequivocal best thing you can be doing to like, okay, now like there's there's competition, they tend to overreact. To that um we we just as humans do that and i think that you know i think we had very few domain players at our rcq and um i maybe i i from what i'm gathering maybe utah's uh, meta is just like more aggressive than other people's but i was surprised to see that
1: oh i mean for context the maryland metagame like i said a 36 person rcq there were like been picnic ruiner players or something between like picnic ruiner toxic and uh, and red. We were a solid third of the room. I think domain was two or three players. Um, uh, I think that a, a big part of it, especially in paper, is that it's easy and cheap to buy into the giant growth picnic ruiner audacity monster mm-hmm. whisper deck or even the mono red deck. Like those things are easy to buy into. Domain is a lot of like it's the most expensive deck in the format i'm pretty sure uh and it's a lot of upkeep uh to to keep playing and it's kind of hard to to weather and you lose to these decks that kind of right knowing that there's a deck out there that can just say i mean you just brought the wrong deck you lose is a pretty tough thing for a lot of people to face when you're trying to win an rcq so i'm not surprised that a lot of people have fallen off domain or it's not the most represented decks i do think that's a big part of the standard format is that like domain is good, but it's not oppressive. And it not being oppressive means why would everyone play it when you could play
0: one of a million other options that might suit people better. It's interesting. I was going to say, it's like this anecdotally. My RCQ was like six domain players, six toxic slash aggressive players, mid range Mason Clark going, Pick up my slurker, do my thing, do this to do this to do. And that's the room. That was the room. (laughs) It was like, there there was some mono red there too, like under the aggressive stuff. But like, it's just interesting to sort of see the differences. Cause I would have imagined so many people would play Domain because. It's like done so well, but I guess like the, the buy-in cost of like the other decks and like if you don't already have the triumphs, the binding and the attraction from the older formats, then it, it is very expensive. But if you do, it's not expensive.
2: For what it's worth, like the the Dim- the Demir deck is is f- four hundred and seventy four dollars or five hundred and seventy four dollars.
1: And how MMA much that deck shield is <laughs> five hundred and
2: ninety eight dollars. So like yeah. it's not that I mean the domain deck can get up there like there's like all over six hundred dollars on here but i don't know yeah i mean yeah i mean the the real the real cost is uh the the next deck we're gonna talk about
0: yeah just to wrap it up on domain though like after kind of some like anecdotal stuff here i do think domain is good like like i said i own the cards like while i'm playing slow or maybe like modern after hearing apes pitch or like you know if i can't get those cards maybe i'll borrow my friend's blue black deck if he ends up you know not playing this RCQ this weekend, but end of the day, I think domain is very good. And I think if you figure out the sort of where you're supposed to be, it is still a really strong choice. And I think a lot of people might be disheartened listening to us talk about this and, you know, towards like what Spencer said about MK Leo and like, you know, goats get falling off. still really good. I think this deck is really good and having all the colors, there is room to innovate. And I would not be shocked when I see like some wild new take on the deck that you know storms the metagame and does really well like that is an inevitability to me not a like an if this happens and in first place but not you know my last not least on whatever Rakdos mid-range 32 points small outline we wanted to mention really quickly here is that three points of this come from Lord of the ground anti builds but even if that was removed from this data um it would still be 29 points which would be number one uh and this deck is really nice um in the way that like s i'm sorry blue black or legally esper um kind of like take a reactive role but some of these like black cards this deck takes a much more proactive role and has cards like empty to really churn through its deck apply pressure and matchups where you need to do that and then has cards like trumpeting cars sort of go over the top of the mid-range mirrors and the black cards are just really good in standard if you haven't picked up on it that is the world we live in and I am curious what you have to say about this deck, uh, Spencer.
2: Yeah, so we actually have a video of this deck versus Domain on the YouTube channel, so check that out uh, for the first Constructor Clash. This deck is surprisingly good, and you, you might like. I, I think that there are some question marks for me. You know the 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 Geopathical Appraiser, or Geological Appraiser, I should say, is an interesting card when you like have both removal and duress, and, you know, really powerful three-drop threats. So it's, it's, you, you can hit anything. And then, like, Trebiting Carnosaur is another one that's kind of, like, the the Explore package is weird. I don't, like, Trebiting Carnosaur does not read better than Broodmate Dragon, but it kind of does a Broodmate Dragon-type thing in this format. (laughs) Mason's like, what is this card? so I don't know Th- this no different... no I know Broodmate Dragon this thing just reads like the girl she
0: tells you not to worry about oh <laughs> compared I, see. To I see Broodmate yeah, Dragon Broodmate Dragon is like Grave like Titan's Nightmare yeah Broodmate Broodmate Dragon looks at his girlfriend and is like but like I'm enough for you right and she goes yeah babe I love the dragon fair enough you know and then leaves him for the removal on the early turns where she gets so that, and that, you did,
2: you did actually go to where I was going to go which is that the difference here is that like Having a mode on this card it makes it so much better uh, for this style of deck that it it's it's kind of impressive.
1: It also enables a bit of parmesan, as we love here on on the cast, where you get to maybe get it ahead of schedule with the cruelty gix. If you really need to, gives you a bit of a, it, just gives you a bit of an engine to be able to like kind of outlast in the other mid range mirrors where you have better haymakers in some of the builds. It's not all of the builds. But a lot of the Carnosaurs are combined with cruelties. Let's like, put it in context. It has, on our power rankings, 32 points to like blue black 17, so about twice as much. And then if you look on Goldfish right now, for just things classified as Ragnus mid range, that's not counting anything that winds up classified as Ragnus Reanimator, like, like the, the big score decks, none of those, uh, it's more than twice as played. So. Like if you if you think about how it's performing in terms of sample, bit, all of the mid range decks are performing around the same. Is that is that a fair fair thing to say?
2: Yeah, I, I think that when you look at like the way that the power rankings work, right? Like it's it's a winner it's a winner's metagame like point system that rewards you for going farther in the tournament and winning the tournament. And what ends up happening sometimes in some of these formats. Is that like a deck gets really popular and will crush the power rankings because it's a good deck that got really popular? It doesn't have to be like the greatest deck or whatever. And I think that this deck kind of, to me, falls under that category of oh, this deck's really good. It's got really good cards. But I don't know that it's like, (laughs) I don't know that it's 11 points better than Esper mid range in the format, if that makes sense.
0: I will say this, too. I think there's a lot of room for, like, building your deck. Like, I was talking to some people in coaching, and I was, like, kind of, you know, cooking with them. And I was like, yo, yeah, what if we went down on these carn- Carnosaurs a little bit, go down the Cruelties. Tees? Like, uh, I am also an Appraiser. Like, there's been some, like, social media, like, Appraiser is awful. I basically have, like, one in my deck reluctantly. But, like, having, like, Archfiend of Dross and being more aggressive, I also like the anti stuff, to be fair. So, you yeah, know, take that with a grain of salt. But, like, I, I think that being lower to the ground and being, like, proactive for mid midrange gives me a lot of the same elements, but does stuff. And I think that, to, like, what Spencer's saying, too, like, helps with decks being represented, right? Because it's, like, they're all getting clumped together despite doing different things. And it, like, creates this weird... It gets a lot of points while being slightly different. Uh, you know, and once again, the empty stuff was only three of the points. But still, like, that, you know, it does matter. And it accumulates. So I, I think this deck is... Interesting in the power ranking system is definitely not a bible or anything. We're not coming on down with these like, "This is the deck to play" and "This is the first best deck" or whatever. It's just a thing to be aware of and kind of how things are playing out in metagames.
2: Yeah, it's honestly just delivering information, right? Or like, we like Abe has already said what he would play, right? He would play mono red. He believes that it is the best position deck. This is literally just us delivering you information and hoping that you'll do with it what you need to do to make the best decision possible for you. And the fact that Miraculous Midrange came in with quite a few points um, and did, you know, we, I mean, outperformed what people consider the best deck is really interesting, especially considering that on paper you would think that this deck kind of gets dumpstered by the second place deck.
1: Yeah, I think another thing about Rakdos is that like, to Carnosaur's to credit, it gets to be the midrange deck that goes over many other mid-range decks it is going to outmuscle uh the other mid-range decks and a lot of the decks we're talking about as being the performers are right we talked about all flavors of bat gix black black x mid-range and so with all of those decks being represented it only makes sense that the deck that is doing that but also just in a better card quality way right just going to have more muscle over the course of when you run you know hundreds of matches over the course of these tournaments and you see Rakdos playing these decks, it's going to come out just on top in terms of in a mid range fight, having the better cards. Um, and I think that says a lot about what the format is right now that, you know, a deck that is able to effectively shut out the aggro decks that we're not seeing here that are definitely contenders, definitely playable um, decks that just didn't have good weekends the last, uh, the last two weekends um, because they're, they're in bad positions you know are able to have game against domain and and have have ways to fight against it but are still respecting each other as mid-range decks and respecting the aggro decks that the the one that is just you know that that one step one step bigger um is that comes out on top at the end of it especially being you know full of just some of the best pound for pound mid-range cards in in the format even at the low mana value level right like Tithe Harvester is just very good. You know, it, it answers bats. It, it plays a lot of roles. It answers bats. It clocks your opponent. It filters your draw. That's something that not any other of the two drops we're talking about in the other Black X decks can do, except for maybe Dread Knight out of Green Black. But that's, you know, that's all that you really get. And and this card's doing a lot of the same things. So it, it really adds up, and, and it's unsurprising to me to see Rakdos at the top. I think it's, like, one of the best level zero decks to just play Tide Harvester and one-for-ones and, and, and cruelty and stuff. But, I, you know, I
0: think it says a lot about the format as a whole. I also think that, like, the commitment getting into this deck is so much easier than other decks, right? Like, if you play Rakdos mid and Pioneer, you have half the cost in Shieldreds. And then they're like, hey, buy $100 in Cavern of Souls. You'll probably play them at some point. And then, like, a 100, like, you know, $100 more in a standard deck. And then at that point, it's like, okay, I'd probably buy Cavern at some point. $100 standard deck. It's good. Thumbs up. You know what I mean? So, like, I think this is definitely a deck that, like, probably, you know, I know some people who played it for, like, those kind of reasons, too. You know, like, it is a good deck um, that also just, you know, it's very easy to pivot into this sort of thing and get to continue playing magic and i know a lot of people who like you know played started playing magic from magic arena during covid got big into pioneer because it was the stuff and now standards restarting and they're like oh i have these cards this just makes sense and so i think the deck is good i think there's a lot of different ways to build it i'm really excited to see kind of how people take it yeah it's very cool that a deck that comes from that
1: level of like card acquisition just is good because mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's good to see more people play standard i was really happy to play a big standard event this weekend
0: it was nice I'm we had like our tennessee was like iced out this past week it was like didn't leave my house for five days and we still had a bunch of people show up and a bunch of people like trekked out like from nashville to where i live my rcq was like a minute from my house um you know and it was cool to see everyone there and it's like dang if there wasn't all this ice like how many people would have actually come because i know like at least five or six people who like were like, I don't want to risk it on the interstate today, which is fair. Turns out that they're fine, but you know, still an interesting place to be. That is gonna do it for the power ranking before we start going to Patreon question. That I do want to throw it to each of us really quickly. I know that Spencer and Abe both have mentioned sort of decks that they're very high on in standard, and Spencer even said he would play blue, white, uh flash again, you know, earlier in the episode. But Spencer, I want to give you a chance. Do you still want to play Blue White Flash? We've had a lot of conversations on the show. Did Abe move you with Mono Red? Where are we at?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's actually an interesting question in the standard format because I actually know there are a lot of ways that you can attack the format. And so for me, um, I if I like had to play this weekend, I, I would probably run Black uh, Blue White. But I actually own... Uh, Picnic runners, <laughs> and that I, I, there there is a world in which i just want to get in with that deck just to like get it out of my system uh just because it's sweet it's sweet uh it was really funny when we were talking about the deck during the show um we babe you mentioned Thran portal when i five owed with the deck and posted it and i got the fire shoes tweet so it was like oh i really love that you're only down to like one Thran portal why did you do that and i was like have you played against like another aggressive deck with this deck can't be doing this many Thran portals
1: yeah, the amount of Thran Portal, Karpulzen Forest, and Forest draws my opponents had last weekend was just... Yeah, that would kill you. It was ugly. It was ugly for them. Hey, what about you? Mono Red still? Yeah, I, I'm really sold in Mono Red right now. Uh, you know, I gave I gave the full, like, seven-minute breakdown on this is why this is the deck that you should play. You know, if you if you need to know what I think about it, just rewind the episode to there, and then and then come back here. Make sure you write down the timestamp on something, then you, you can double back to to know. But but yeah, I think I think it's really good.
0: Yeah, I I, I think personally, like I think you did a lot of stuff on Monored. I definitely want to try it slash try and getting the stuff for it. I do want to talk about my deck. Really, I, I think I would play Slow though. Still, like if I had no time to like really think about Abe's deck, and I like couldn't you know spend a little time talking to him about it. Cause I don't think I fully understand everything. I need to like get the 10 minutes with Abe to get it. But anyways, I think slow is good. Um, I think it is cumbersome at times. I think it requires a lot of like format knowledge and a lot of planning and is very hard to play, but relic of legends plus Rona is really strong. The having 30 lands and never flooding, but also never getting mana screwed at the same time is really strong. Slurgurk is basically unkillable. And a lot of people hyper fixate and focus on, like, the, oh, I'm going to mill you with my Jace and then pick it up with Takanuma and then mill you again and then pick up my Slurgurk and then Takanuma you again and Jace you all in one turn. Like, yeah, you get to do stuff like that sometimes. But I think the deck at its core is actually just a creature based midrange deck that acts access to a lot of mana a lot of really efficient spell lands, which have proven to be really strong. And we saw this with kind of Esper Legends and Four Color Legends in the past. And I think that a lot of people are just doing it wrong. They're playing cards like Ashnod and Ludvik and the weird green-black guy that's a three-drop. They're like, these are fine cards to take the deck in one direction, but you need to be sort of like getting on board and beating down. So having cards like Malcolm Alluring Siren in your deck that allow you to curve out, put your plan together, work well with your nt and just be an aggressive deck like i have found this to be very powerful and just i have a lot of games where like i just curve out on people and kill them and go like one like two three four they're dead like they're too far behind on the draw and that's the thing where like you know i was in my friend ash little chat before this you know and i was talking to her about the deck and i was like i just run people over and literally the 600 person chat was making fun of me she sent this message to me on discord and, like oh your deck is way different than i thought and i was like, yeah. My deck is not a slow do nothing deck. It is a curve out deck with a combo that it just gets as like a one card thing and all these utility lands. So Slurgerk is hard to play. It is hard for me to give you the thumbs up for you to go pick it up and play it on no reps. I found it very challenging. I think I'm very good at those kind of decks. I really like playing it though. I think it is powerful. It, I don't know exactly where I'd put it on like a tier list or whatever, but I think it is inherently very strong and sometimes plays like a bad modern deck, which is really strong and safe.
2: I, uh, I have a teammate uh, on the the cut that is, was really high on this deck two weeks ago, and mm-hmm. he and so I promised him that I would try it. Uh, I tried it last week, and I uh I like round one I was like I know what's happening. Round two was like oh I see what this deck is putting down. Round three I got my first win, and mm-hmm. um, by round three like I had I had uh, been I you know I was just at my desk like. Uh, doing another you know watching anime or something and like I had been I had had some drinks and uh round, like before I clicked on round four I was like um after these three rounds I don't think that I should ha- like be playing this deck on any amount of alcohol because it is it is a toughie <laughs> uh so just just for what it's worth like I agree with everything you said Mason I did I did get a finish at that event and I thought the deck was really powerful. Um, but I did not feel prepared to bring it to my RCQ, even though it was available to me.
0: I played six games and registered it, baby. Let's go. Dirk I played four, risk. there was enough GRVs to get disqualified from the Pro Tour. And the other two I did well. And then at the tournament, I did fine. I actually gave my opponent support. I didn't understand. How, did y'all know takanuma Once you channel, once you start, they don't get to respond? Yeah. I thought they had a chance to interact for some reason. I'd never channeled a Takanuma before. And if I did in modern, I think I let my opponent surgical me once. <laughs> so I was like at the RCQ and I was like giving this guy a chance to respond. And they're just like, can I read Takanuma? And I was like, sure. They're just like, you just get to pick your thing up. And I was like, oh, I like misinformed you. I am sorry. And I like let my opponent like unrewind and redo a thing. Cause like we just both misunderstood the card. But anyways, overall, deck's great. It's a lot of fun. It's very strong. There's there's something cooking there. It needs more work there. Like the Ludwig Ashnod stuff, I think, is just bad. It they, they have cute synergies and enable some things, but like strong cards that work on their own, really good. Strong cards that work on their own and have high synergies, me like that's gonna do it for the standard portion of the episode this week. If you once again, if you want to support this, you're gonna patreon.com slash ccmtg. If you do that, one of the perks that you get is to ask a question on the show like Adrian did this week, and Adrian said, how would you revive someone who doesn't have MTG clout and is well-known in the community to go about getting assistance for understanding a deck? I see people talk about how they talk to people like Twinless Twin or maybe Dominic Harvey about decks that they are experts in, but if you don't know those people, how would you go about doing this? I think this is a really interesting question. I'm going to throw it to Abe first.
1: Yeah, so uh, this question came... uh as kind of a follow-up to our interview with steven Dykman last week um where steven said that he you know was leaning on his uh network to kind of gain an understanding of things and i think that this is a really good question because the answer is kind of in the question yeah you might not have access to Twinless Twin or Dom Harvey or you know a bunch of people whose names you recognize because they're playing on the energy circuit or you know they play Pro Tours or whatever they're they're in you know the network of these people who um, we're who we interviewing specifically referring to to, to Dykman but think about who the best murktide player is in your local scene. Ask them a question. Think of who the best hammer time player is in your scene ask them a question think of who the best amulet titan player is in your scene ask them the question because yes the people who you know whenever you be referencing especially when we're talking to players who are right in you know a different strata of a different scene that, than where you are and they might have access to to players who are more proven and have you know a lot more knowledge and spend a lot more time playing than the people who you have access to locally the people who you have access to in your network i guarantee you are just are going to be just as valuable to you um, in terms of what they're able to share and what you're going to be able to learn as uh you know like a good conversation and building a good relationship with those people that helps you understand and have access to a resource that Sure, might not be as prestigious as being like, well, I can just call up Twinless Twin and have him tell me what to do with Murktide because it's all he ever does. It's like, okay, you don't know Twinless Twin personally, but who do you know personally who you see win and put up results, right? And at the scene and level that you're at, that should be really helpful, especially as supplement to and as additional informed opinions to content that some of these creators that you're referring to put out. So that's, that's what I would advise someone who, right, it's not about having clout to have access to information, right? That's not thats not really how magic uh, works these days. Maybe we did back in like the 90s and early 2000s. But, um, you know, thanks to the internet, it's really, really easy to, uh, you know, reply to someone's tweet, send them a tweet yourself, right? Try to get in contact with some of these people, join their Patreon, join their Discord, make friends with someone who does um, and, and get the information that way or, or at least get an informed opinion to kind of test your own judgment against and, and, and form it that way. Um, so that's, that's what I would would say as far as getting assistance for decks that, um, you know, you're not super well acquainted with, but you're interested in learning.
2: Uh, I really love everything Abe just said for what it's worth. I would really take that to heart. Uh, the only thing that I would add to this is, um, I think that, if you think about Dom Harvey, you think about Amulet specifically. I had a coaching session uh, a couple weeks ago. Somebody talked about wanting to learn Amulet. I was like, okay, like yeah, do your do your homework and like we can sit down and we can I can answer some of your questions. Like I I played the deck a little bit and uh, you know we also referenced some other stuff and gave them some resources. They came back and they ha- they didn't they didn't read Dom's guide. I was like, well, why didn't you do that? And they were like, oh well, it was long, like it was you know and i was like okay well like i feel like in order for us to have a conversation like we're going to use this guide a lot in that conversation probably because it is the biggest and best free resource to learn this deck and so i think oftentimes people and i'm not i'm not saying this is a like the person adrian i'm not saying this about you the person who has the question but like you need to to go through your options available to you too you know and For Steven, he reached out to Dom, right? But, like, you have access to Dom, too, as a listener. Because, you know, there's a 32-page guide that Dom has written about the same thing that he's going to talk to you about. So, I I think that, like, understanding what your resources are, uh, diving into your local network, and also, like, what's stopping you from reaching out? Do you you guys like you know how many times i've reached out to like where uh, the times i reached out to pv before i knew pv like nothing's stopping you from reaching out to somebody you don't know what their mood is going to be that day or, or whatever but like you know if if you want it like go get it but like also there there is there is availability for other ways to do this you know you can reach out to your welcome meta you'd be a part of discords like ours where you know you can ask questions to people that have been playing the deck so Mason, yeah, I
0: I, I don't want to like blast Adrian, but I do think that these examples are funny to me because like Twinless Twin does have like a Patreon, but also has like the Merc Guides YouTube channel. They promote a fair bit where they just release like weekly videos that are like full like hour to two hour long videos of them playing a league and talking about the changes and sort of doing stuff. And basically like this is, like a pitch for the Patreon. It's like hey, you can get this all the time, you know. But like that's like. A good amount of content and he replies to tweets all the time about it you know I, I see him do it and dom doesn't do the merc guides like youtube channel but does reply to tweets i i see him do it you know and i also know like dom has dominar's judgment and maybe he's not talking about you know amulet all the time There, are answering the exact questions you have but there are ways to get a hold of them that don't require like having to get a, go- a coaching session right like money can't solve all your problems uh or whatever and like maybe it's not even an option so i won't even like mention it but like to what spencer said like these things are out there like like the guy i'm not even mentioning but bible dom wrote you know (laughs) longer than the actual bible when it comes to amulet and it's like yeah this is the thing you have go and like do it and you know uh a a funny antidote from dom that he's like told us podcast before is that like a lot of Dom's good friends are just people that started talking to Dom about magic because Dom was winning a lot, and now they're friends, you know? Dom was like, I don't remember how we became friends. Like, talking to me at at Worlds, we were, like, having dinner together, we roomed together, we're walking, and I was like, yeah, I think, like, I knew some people from SCG, and you knew some people, and we had dinner, and we chit-chat about Jund, and he was like, oh, yeah! You know, we talked about, like, the Ashiok main deck Jund, and, like, that's how I met Dom, you know, and now I'm, like, friends with Dom or whatever, but, like, This is just a thing where like a lot of people will talk to you and maybe they won't, you know, go out of their way to do all these things, but they probably will give you like at least an okay-ish answer. And, you know, that is like pretty reasonable, I think. So I I would do that. But also it's like what Abe said, just because you're not getting it from Dom, you know, and it's like your local best person or twinless twin, they could still be really helpful. And you also don't know if those people know those people, right? Like maybe this local amulet player you have is in an amulet discord with dom and it's like just regurgitating what dom said right like if i tell you some stuff about amulet a lot of it is regurgitating what dom's told me right it's like not really that different and it's not like i'm seeking this out it's like read what dom has said in like open discords that lots of people can join so that is just a, a thing i think to keep in mind and also like another you know good reminder that like you should listen to all the people about stuff because you don't know who they're coming from. I remember one time I literally was in like a Discord call with like Matt Nass or whatever the night before about KCI and someone was telling me about how like Matt Nass would ever do the thing I just did. And I was like, do you want to be that guy? I was like, well, Matt told me to do this last night, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what, what what do we do? You know, and like that's a place of privilege I come from, but it's also like kind of a reminder, right? Like to what Abe said, like maybe that – amulet person is in a similar situation with dom but doesn't really want it to be that way locally you know we're talking about it we doesn't want to seem like they're coming off in a way because people can agree about those things so just reach out and talk to people
2: dude i shouldn't oh. do this because it's going to go to your head but i was playing a uh uh 1k with mason's exact list and sideboard guide that he hadn't published to his patreon yet for yorian like mm-hmm. i'm playing like the the literal i just got it from mason i was like hey mason am going to this deck mason shoots it over to me and uh, i'm playing against this person and they're like why do you like why did you have the card in your deck like, like uh, mason clark doesn't do that and like he you know he just went dream Hacker. and i was like uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: i also think it's important to to say that like the direct line to like content creator or whatever is not all it's cracked up to be mm-hmm. sometimes like the reason that I was just able to give you a, a seven-minute presentation on why you should play mono red is because that's the exact same thing I've had to repeat to my friend who lent me the deck, who was asking me how I thought the deck was and why I like whether he should play it or what changes you should make. Like I did all this thinking about it, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to talk about it on the show this week. That's great." But also, let me give it to you heads up because you know this is this is where it came from, where it needs to go. If you ask me the same question about Monored, like, oh yeah, what's what's the lowdown of Monored two days from now when the episode air, like airs? I bet you I'm going to say probably exactly the same thing, right? Like like when when Twinlet Twin is recording those videos on like on Merktide, when Dom is saying these things about Amulet, and people are are giving their thoughts, especially with with content creators and Magic right now, like the content is so 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 closely tied. From like what they think to what they're actually putting out. There's so few steps between between it that you're getting a really, really authentic view of it too. So the the content that's out there is really good and and the people who are probably consuming more of it than you might give you a shortcut uh into maybe skipping uh four hours of reading Dom's uh Bible.
2: I read the
0: Do you have to read the Bible? Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Another way to get on the show is to go to YouTube and leave a comment or question. We didn't have one in this past week, but I did want to give a big shout out to YouTube for covering for me when I was gone and talking to Dykman. I thought it was a great interview, and it was so cool to hear all of that stuff. So if you want to hear more about that, check out last week's episode. If you want to find us, you can... Uh, Go to our public Discord channel, or go to Patreon. We can join the patreon only Discord. There's a lot of conversation going on there. There was a ton of conversation about uh, standard recently. As always, uh, whatever the RCQ format is, seems to always pop a little bit there. Who would guess incentives make people go? Yeah, uh, you know, Abe saying it's right. It was me. Uh, you can also help us out by going to YouTube and leaving a comment and interacting with the videos there. That is a great way to help support the channel, and I'm sorry, help support the show and no, you know byproduct the channel without having to give any sort of monetary value that stuff really helps us and if you like the show share with your friends you can find us on twitter at ccmtg and abe if someone wants to find you where can they go uh you can find me over at
1: twitter.com slash more nothings i'm not gonna be the am re- not gonna be developed coaching from now until probably after um the pro tour just with that much i have on my plate but uh, you know you can still follow me and get my uh, you know occasional opinions on magic and my uh, opinions on music pretty regularly.
2: You can find me at he's a game. Uh, you can find me every week on the YouTube channel here uh, doing constructor class We didn't do last week because I was starting a new job, but we're gonna do it this week. Yeah, and then I do a Smash podcast every month uh, about always improving in Smash, and I do a nerd podcast um, where we get to talk about some really fun nerdy stuff. Um, my host is binge watching my hero academia right now because uh it's it's always our most popular episode when we do a my hero episode and we you know he's got to watch a lot of seasons to catch up so uh it was it was really fun on the last podcast I, i mentioned abe texting me as abe caught up and uh you know it's it's a fun one to do
0: if you want to find me, go to Twitter at Mason E. Clark. If you want to get coaching, and reach out there or via my email, masoneclark@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Put coaching description. That way I know that you're coming about that. You can also find me this week on Humans of Magic. I sat down and did about a two-hour interview talking about improving at magic and Sort of me a little bit in there So if you want to check out more of that content You can there as well You can also check me out at twitch.tv Slash the Mason Clark when I find time to stream I will be streaming that And it's time For the lightning round of what did we learn This week on the show Abe Stein you're up first
1: Um, I learned that I was on the Need Nerd Podcast As a cameo I didn't realize that
2: You were also on Humans of Magic Just so you know I haven't gotten the episode yet. I am,
1: mm-hmm. hopefully, yeah. good things, Mason. Good things. Good things. I recorded it like a month and a half ago. I don't remember. Oh, good. So all the bad things I've done between then, and <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, all
0: the wrongs that you did have been not Comple- completely, yeah, <laughs> completely unrecorded. Yeah. I'm yeah
1: exactly. Oh no, I'm so sorry, Spencer. <laughs> so I'm
0: so sorry. Spencer like was behind the scenes, like had a little accident has apparently a bruised rib. And if you're watching the live show, it's literally in pain while laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. If you, th- if you thought our jokes weren't funny this week, that was on purpose. And if you did find them funny, we're geniuses. Uh, my uh, What I learned on the show this week is about herb grass forage. I think that makes a lot of sense uh, and solves a lot of things that I had with mono-red uh, problem-wise. Spencer, we about you.
2: I learned that Mason doesn't make a social media network uh, reference every podcast because there were zero on this one. Oh, the social network? Oh yeah, social network. Sorry, my bad. (laughs) Listen, you know, I'm coming back for everything. Thank you all
0: this week for listening to the episode. I'll be back next week for more CC MTG.